Nobody questions things in this country anymore. Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything, to question everything they read, everything they hear. Welcome to Question Culture with Brian and Lornette. This is a bi-weekly podcast where each episode, Lornette and I will be discussing and questioning conventional wisdom about a topic we believe is important. On this episode, we had decided to take another break from our usual doom and gloom topics and have another science edition episode. And to help us out, we actually have a special guest, an actual scientist, Dr. Christian Branion. Welcome, Christian. Dr. Branion, how's it going? Thanks hey. for coming on. Very happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. And as always, we're joined by my esteemed co-host, Lornette. How's it going, buddy? Hey, what's going on? I'm Brian Lornette Vestal. Uh, you can check me out at um, on Twitter at Evolving Man LBV. Um, you can also check out the Evolving Man Project website where I deep dive in some of the topics that we discuss on Question Culture. And also, um, we have the uh, back episodes of Question Culture. So if you want to catch up and listen or share it with your friends, conservative family members, libertarian family members or liberal family members go ahead piss off everybody uh, especially as the holidays come along so thanks again and and today uh, we we have a brave soul who is our our very first official guest of question culture so we we we, we managed to snag ourselves a actual live scientist so um we i always say we're never we're not really qualified to talk about anything on this podcast that we talk about but we do it anyway <laughs> but christian actually is or dr brandian is actually qualified to talk about um, science and physics. So, um, Dr. Brennion, would you like to kind of give a, the people a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. You know, I, I studied um, applied physics at Morehouse College, and um, you know, in, in relation to these topics, I, I took a course optics and modern physics from Dr. Moore, which was really the hardest class I ever took. I, you know, I, I studied civil engineering at Georgia Tech also, um, but that class with Dr. Moore, um, which I got a C plus in, um, was, 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 was the proudest moment of my life actually <laughs> when I got that C plus in his class because he was just known to be such a tough professor. Um, so yeah, my background, my, my training at least is in applied physics and civil engineering. Um, and you know, uh, in the civil engineering side, uh, I know, I know a little bit about um, hydrology in particular. Was there, oh, okay. was there anything, so was there anything in your childhood that, you know, you know, not every, it's probably pretty rare, not everyone gets into the sciences. Was there anyone in early on in your life who influenced you to have an interest in science or was there something that happened that kind of pushed you in that direction? No, that's a great question. You know, I, my earliest memory is, being in like sec being in second grade and and really being fascinated with science and i don't i don't know that it was a particular person that that inspired me i think it was just watching cartoons you know watching um you know disney and and maybe seeing wizards and and anastate you know and uh anastasia and really just wanting to be a wizard you know just wanting to be wanting to be able to do magic and 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 so I, my earliest memories of wanting to be a scientist were around wanting to be a wizard and and, and thinking about being um, a chemist you know like that that shifted to wanting to be a chemist um and so 
you know, I, I later took chemistry and, and, and decided I didn't really love chemistry that much. But, but I think, I think honestly it was just wanting to be, just wanting to be able to do magic and be a, be a wizard. And, um, and I think ultimately I started to realize that an engineer is, is probably actually closer to being a wizard, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> where you, you know where you, mm-hmm. That, that is super cool because, yeah, I think science sometimes kind of gets as bad rap as it's very, like, boring and just it's all facts and, like, no magic to it. But, like, a lot of science, you know, is magic. It, it's it's trying to understand the magic of reality, you know. So that, that's super cool that you kind of are coming at it from that perspective. Um, and, and that's kind of what I was, you know, what me and Larnette were thinking about with the theme of this episode was just, you know, again, people kind of have this this... I don't know, oftentimes I see it as like a misrepresentation of science, that it's just cold calculating, that there's no magic to it, and that it's all just facts. And But, you know, really a lot about science is like under, trying to understand what we don't understand and, and you know, kind of trying to learn something new about reality that we don't quite understand. And so that's why we kind of chose the, the topic of this episode would be things we don't fully understand about the universe because I kind of enjoy that about science, how it's, you know, that you're not, you know, making up stories for what you can't understand. You have to say, okay, we don't understand this. Let's try and use the tools we have or develop new tools to understand things that we don't fully comprehend. So, yeah, it's super cool. Um, yeah, and, and then, and I guess, uh, Dr. Brennan, my, my question, the other question to you is kind of uh, what was, like, from your, think about your uh, educational career or uh, professional career, um, what's kind of what was your most like rewarding experience or what is your most rewarding experience or ha- has been so f- thus far yeah that's a great question you know i've had i've had really many rewarding experiences you know to date um uh you know i i guess if i had to choose one i would say you, you know i had a i i, I was really fortunate to work as a counselor for a summer program um, at Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was actually in between graduating from from college, from undergrad, if you will, from, you know, Morehouse College in Georgia Tech. And then, in, you know, in the fall, I was going to be uh, in graduate school, you know, start graduate school and study, you know, fluid mechanics and water resources. And this summer program that was designed to recruit you know, talented high school students. It was unique because it was just focused on students from rural communities. You know, mostly, mostly kids that identified as you know would identify as white, and mostly kids from uh, urban communities. Um, and a lot of these kids were were black and brown. And um, one of these students that was there, um, you know, brilliant, uh, you know, really nice guy. And I won't say his name, but. I, I realized a few years ago that he had not only gone on to college, but had went on and got a PhD in physics and was now a professor at Morehouse College. Oh, wow. And, That's awesome. Right. And so you see it went full circle, like literally, you know, um, and, and he was a little bit of, you know, you know, frankly, like a class clown and, and, and you know, he, he was not what you think of, of as, as like a, you know, this nerdy scientist, like he actually was popular and kind of athletic and, <laughs> you know, um, and so, so you um, take the credit just, for all that. Like it was all me. 
Yeah, yeah, right. His student was Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson Jr. 2.0. You know, right I'd like to think, you know, like maybe through osmosis or just, you know, um, me dropping a few jewels that, that I impacted him, you know. But yeah, that, that was really, I really get a lot out of um, interacting with students, interacting with younger people, seeing light bulbs go off in people's heads. And, you know, I know how difficult it is to kind of stick it out and finish, you know, college and, and finish graduate school, finish a PhD. So, yeah, that, that was really, really made me feel really good. I would say that's that was that's well, that uh, moment I would share. Unfortunately, you won't see any light bulbs go off with, with me tonight because uh, <laughs> it's fine. It's all going to go over my head. <laughs> I'm in a deep water so we'll now, see. baby. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, uh, also, uh, Dr. Brennan, you were just nominated for a, a, a award recently. Uh, would you like to talk about that too? You know, feel free yeah. You know, I received I received an award for my work in climate science, and you know, there's so many folks like doing really interesting work. Please tell um, me everything is fine. We don't have to change our behavior at all. <laughs> tell me that as a Chinese yeah, hoax, no, like no. Tell me like, the planet's uh, actually Trump's cooling it. down and it'll all, the polar bears are coming back. It's all okay. <laughs> it's, it's the natural fluctuation. <laughs> I wish that was true. You know, and, I, and I'm not going to lie to you t- tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> you know, I can't lie to you. I mean, I mean, I, I got the award, I think, in part because you know, I'm really looking at different kinds of systems. You know, I'm really, I'm interested in agriculture. You know, I'm interested in the natural environment. I'm interested in ecosystems. I'm also really interested in cities, you know, and and even the intersection with, uh, you know, adapting to climate change and trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and, and social equity, you know, I mean, climate change is, is fundamentally about inequality, right, you know, um, Go ahead. uh, Yeah, I don't want to get too off topic, but since you brought it up, I did want to ask you about um, with climate change and, you know, coming from your perspective. I don't know. I forget the name of it. Lord, Lord, do you know what the name of that documentary was? You know, because I used to be all about switching to like green energy or I still am about switching, you know, off fossil fuels to green energy. But I've watched documentaries now about how those can even be problematic, like solar farms, you know, and all the the raw about, minerals and stuff it takes. Yeah, what was that called, the documentary? It was, it was called Planet of the Humans, I believe. Okay, yeah, yeah, that was it, Planet of the Humans. So it kind of just brought to light, and I've seen a few videos since then about how a lot of these other technologies are even, you know, problematic in ways because of all the, you know, natural resources they consume to, like, make the solar panels and stuff. Do you still think, you know, having done the research that you have, is that our best option is to just try and switch to all those things right away and hope to develop the technology, you know, better? Like, what would you say, you know, what what kind of path should we start walking down if we would like really want to do something about climate change? Well, you know, I, I think it's I think it, it requires us fundamentally changing how we interact with the environment, how we interact with nature and and also how we interact with each other as humans, you know? And the reason why I would say climate change is fundamentally, you know, about inequality is because the places in the world, you know, the nation states, the countries that produce the most greenhouse gas emissions um, will, will probably, you know, deal with clim- big climate change impacts better. You know, they, they have more money, they have more wealth. 
and yet the the places in the world that um, that were colonized by a lot of those those wealthier countries um, and had their resources taken, whether those be you know mineral resources or um, actual human resources, they'll really suffer the most from climate change impacts. So I think it's fundamentally rooted in quality. And then when we think about how we address it, we have to think about the full life cycle of uh, the, the the energy technologies like as you alluded to it really depends how you get the solar energy you know the, you know where where did the solar panels come from did you, you did you actually um, ship them from from um, the complete other side of the earth <laughs> right, right. so so you you actually re- created all these greenhouse gas emissions just to get the solar panels to your location so it, so we really have to think like holistically and big picture about it um, there's concepts like virtual water. For example, where we say, you know, when you when you ship something, let's say I ship um, an apple uh, from New York to another place, maybe maybe you know, or or, or I ship, um, let's let's even say, um, you know, an orange from Florida to another place, like maybe um, you know, I should be thoughtful about how much water it took, you know, not only to to produce the apple to produce the orange, but also like how much water is consumed in the shipping. And at a certain point, you start to say, maybe there, maybe I should be producing things that use a lot of water in places that have a lot of water, you know, and 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 and, and vice versa. So it yeah. blew my mind when I was learning about how um, I've been trying my best to be as like vegetarian and vegan as possible in the last couple of years, just because I learned about like how much water it takes to like raise cattle that we eat, and you know all this extra shipping. You know, we eat the, this food. But, you know, let's say it was grown on the West Coast somewhere, then it's shipped to China for packaging, then shipped back to the U.S. to, like, to me to be eaten, you know. And it just, like, blew my mind thinking about, like, the Earth has got to be a pretty big place to, like, handle (laughs) what it's already handled, you know, let alone, like, a growing population. So it is just, like, wild to think about, like, you know, like you said, how much water goes into, like, making these things, you know. So much water. Yeah, so many resources. So, I mean, so go back to your question about climate change, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me because big picture when you think about you know ancient civilizations um you know you can think about ancient egypt and other places you know they've they've those civilizations have ended because of natural disasters often and i think it can be argued like the, the, like folks made decisions in those civilizations that doomed the civilizations <laughs> i would so just I was just in Mexico at the Mayan ruins and they were teaching us, you know, I asked them, I thought the Mayans had been destroyed when the Spanish came, but their empire actually fell 600 years beforehand because of their bad agricultural practices. So like everyone was starving because they didn't, you know, run the land properly. And so everyone started starving. So it was literally that exact situation where an an entire empire fell because of, you know, not supporting their environment the way they needed to, to survive. So, yeah. Tale as old as so, time, I guess. <laughs> so you're basically saying that we're, we're, we're headed for the same same path <laughs> uh, there, Dr. Brennion. You know, I, I'm, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous. And, and that's why I got, I got really interested in climate change. You know, I, I, I mean, literally, if you found my personal statement for graduate school, I'm saying, you know, I'm hoping to do work to allow humans to persist. I mean, that's, that's almost verbatim what I wrote. Um, and, you know, because once once resources start getting scarce, once folks start getting displaced in, in, in certain parts of the world due to flooding and, and because it's hard to find food, 
there's there's likely or at least it's a lot of people anticipate there'll be conflicts right and yeah. it, it may not actually be that we can't get water and food everywhere but it could be that you know the lack of water and food creates conflicts that affect us all so i think so sometimes i so i think it, it'll become clear and clear to folks in, in wealthier countries that these conflicts that emerge in these less wealthy places will actually impact you and 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 will create a lot of problems for you so we've, we've got to we've got to figure this out yeah now and, and thinking about the conflict part i thought i'm glad you brought that up um thinking about the fact that it's a uh, hundred companies that's responsible for like 71 percent of carbon emissions but a big piece of that is you know um my background you know um, folks notice who listen to the podcast um and you notice also um you and brian that i, I was a military veteran and our you know a lot a large carbon footprint is the, the military so thinking about perhaps you know water worlds in the future water world wars in the future and conflict over food and, and and migration patterns of humans um you know that's going to create it's going to exacerbate the problem with um uh, uh, that we already have so uh, ironically given waging peace um is not only good for humanity and, and saving lives but also perhaps the 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 entire future of the planet planet maintaining us. And I always think of George Carlin when he says, uh, the, the planet is fine. Like in the long term, the planet will be fine. I mean, we got hit by an asteroid. The dinosaurs died out and other creatures, but it bounced back a few million years, years later. The people are fucked. So I, I always think about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, shit, we could have had uh, Dr. Brennan on our climate change episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He would explain right. it much better than we did. Right, so. right. Maybe we'll have to do a part two. <laughs> Um, yeah, we, if you want to come back, if we don't scare you away after this. <laughs> um, all right. So, well, that's kind of why. So typically, you know, me and Larnette have uh, more politically current affairs episodes, but a lot of times that gets us so depressed. And science is kind of <laughs> something else that we're very interested in, you know, astronomy. And it doesn't, I don't know, I guess because it doesn't involve us, it doesn't feel as depressing <laughs> to talk about, like, you know, kind of big picture science things. Um and one thing I want, you know, with the theme of the episode being that things that we don't understand about the universe, um, this might just be something that I don't fully understand. But I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, how we know, because I always hear, you know, that the universe was born 13 point, you know, whatever years, billion years ago. Um, and that, you know, we can see stars this far, this many light years away. But like, how do we truly know, you know, we have the uh, the, the visible universe how do we know how big that is? So what I've heard is that we have standard candle, like stars or something, that we know they should be this bright, so no matter, so we can judge how far things are away. Is that correct? Hmm. Can you elaborate on that at all? Yeah, you know, I, so so that that is a very interesting question. So first I would say, you know, I, I don't know that we definitively know um, how old the universe is, but you're right. I mean, that's that's about you know 14 billion years or so is 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 what folks suspect. Um, and it's not six thousand years old, <laughs> like the good book says. Damn it, blasphemy. Yeah, we're we're suspect. That's what we suspect, you know. And um, like yeah, like you said, when when we detect, uh, so we so we can look out into space, and and we will will sense um, light, will sense energy that hits our sensors. And, um, you know, based on where we look in space and, and like you said, based on 
um, the char the character of the light. You know, we, we can speculate what we're what we're seeing out there. So is it a star? Is it is it a planet? You know, the, the light will uh, appear differently. Or the you know the this light is is uh, a form of electromagnetic energy. So it'll it'll appear different depending on where it is, and um, depending on how where we look. Um, we, we've started to, you know, over time get a sense for how far away things are, you know, and, and the nature of, of, of how they, how they um, emit energy. Um, and yet, you know, and, and so in that way, we, we even have a sense for, you know, how big the universe is, um, you know, the size of the universe. And, and, and we know that uh, uh, it's expanding. You know, I, I would say, though, that this is fundamentally kind of based on this idea of the Big Bang theory, I'm sure you guys have heard of this this concept, yeah, the Big definitely. Bang, right? Yep, right. Um, and and what I would say to you, and this is this is you know this is really this is really getting um, meta, if you will. This is assuming that time is linear, right? Like, so we're assuming that that the universe mm -hmm. begins at some point, you know, and the, and there's this big explosion, and then the and, and then and it expands and I would say that we don't even really know that time is linear. It's just convenient for us to think that that time is linear, um, and and that there has to be this this one singular starting point, um, and and even you know. So, so I would say that yeah, based on um, the objects that we do know in our solar system and how and how uh, and how light um, reflects or, or how light is emitted from those objects, you know, we, we have a sense for. Um, um, how far away very distant objects are, and when we we basically are, are getting are able to sense light that um, that is based on explosions and events that were just you know ridiculous amounts of times ago you know very very long time ago, and so we have a sense for for what's you know what's the outer edges of the universe, um, but you know I, I think it's it's all predicated on this idea that there's a beginning point and there's just one singular beginning point. And I think that's often really just a convenient way to think about things. That's an interesting idea. Cause yeah. I never, cause I have thought about that, how we kind of perceive time in this direction, but I don't know if I believe that that's the way it is, or that's just the way humans perceive it. And I, I guess I never really thought about that, you know, applying that kind of thought to the, the formation of the universe. That's really interesting. And yeah, I, I Go ahead, Lauren. No, go ahead, Brian. No, I was just gonna say I, I'm thinking about a conversation I, I listened to years ago with uh, another uh, famous physicist, um, Dr. Michio Kaku, and he was talking about uh, the Big Bang versus um, the the multiverse theory, and he said that you know he was born he was born you know his family's Japanese and they were born like uh, so they practice um, Buddhism, but they you know migrated to the United States. Uh, majority Christian nation you have like boot in Buddhism you have Nirvana which is like forever um, bliss and then you have like Genesis which is the beginning and he argues in, in the multiverse theory and obviously it's just a theory um, that you could have uh, a seer you can have an ocean Nirvana Nirvana with seeds of Genesis happening all the time in the in, the, in that idea and then going back to your, your initial uh, thought about uh, what you said uh, uh, Dr. Brennan, you talked about kind of the visible light, what we see in, you know, this 14 billion years. I always find it interesting that every time we look up into the sky, we're looking back at time. But also, one thing that also fascinates me is that what we claim to know, the visible light and everything that we can detect with our best equipment and the smartest people on Earth, um, 
far when it comes to this, um, yourself and all the other physicists, say that we only know what four percent, four or five percent of the the known universe. Everything else is dark matter, dark energy, and we don't know what the hell that is. Uh, so what? <laughs> so so, uh, Doctor Brennan, tell us tonight, what the hell is dark matter and dark energy? <laughs> or what is what is it not? <laughs> so that's something I wanted to ask you too. So, right. I, the two simplest versions I could think of, and I wanted to ask if you agreed with this, was that dark energy is for the universe is expanding, and the excel and the exp, the expanding is accelerating, and we don't know why, so we term it dark energy. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, we. I mean, basically, we 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 did not expect um, for the rate of expansion uh, to be increasing. Right. We didn't we didn't expect the universe to be expanding at an increasing rate. And and when we discovered that in the early, early uh, 20th century, you know, we had to come up with some way to justify that. So we so so of all these these new concepts came about. Um, so it's a little bit of a reaction um, to to realizing that the universe wasn't expanding in the way that we thought it would be. And so um, it, it's, it, you know, it's a situation where you may have heard people say there's there's known unknowns and unknown unknowns. <laughs> you know, we thought we knew something and then we realized, wow, we don't know that at all. And we've come up with an answer for it. And again, I would say mm, maybe maybe there's some other things that we don't even know that we don't know um, that could also explain um, that the, why the universe is expanding differently than we might think. Because, yeah, that's what I'm kind of like interested in is how we like with the size of the universe like how do we know because you know i was thinking about like all right if you're standing in a dark room and there's you know let's say you see two candles you think one's closer to you because it's brighter but you don't know Mm -hmm. it could be further away from you but just have more energy so but i guess at least with like stars you have billions of (laughs) billions upon a billions of examples so you can start like kind of looking all around but Yeah. yeah Yeah, we, we, we kind of, because we know what we, so basically the light, you know, light and, and light is, you know, light and energy you can think of as either a particle or a wave and, you know, things give off um, a different spectral signature, if you will. You know, there, there'll be a, a different pattern in terms of um, uh, the electromagnetic uh, 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 wave that you receive, you know, depending on. Um, the temperature at the surface, um, the nature of the material. And so by first kind of understanding what was in our solar system and how far away things from our solar system, we could kind of get a sense for like, oh, okay, the sun looks really small, um, but we know it's much larger. Um, you know, scientists did a lot of early studies um, just, just looking at how stars rotated, uh, or, or, or I should say how the earth rotated around the sun and, and how um, other planets moved. And, and that's how we kind of got a sense for um, understanding, you know, the energy we receive and what it means in terms of whether it's a planet or a star and how far away it is. And, and once, and the more we, the more our understanding grew of our own solar system, we, we began to understand that there were, you know, um, you know, coll- you know, not just, not just our galaxy, but collections of galaxies and and to some extent, we, we're, we're really speculating and estimating, you know, how many galaxies there are, you know. Um, and yet, um, we, we believe that there's just one universe. And, 
you know, by understanding, um, you know, by, by, by paying close attention, we kind of have a sense for, you know, what that, the, the size of the known universe could be, you know, um, and, 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 and we're kind of basing it on, you know, matter, the matter, the things we can observe. So, you know, in my opinion, there has to be something beyond that, though. And, and we kind of would like to think of that as just empty space. And yet, um, you know, I'm not sure there's any reason to think that it's just empty space, that there's, you know, that, there, that there's nothing just beyond things that give off light uh, that we can detect. So are you talking about the, the limitations of kind of how far we can see back in time with our, with our best instruments and calculations and, and theories and then talking about that moment where before the Big Bang, or are you talking about kind of like the, the limits of the universe? Like we, we can't see back to a certain point and we don't know, like we have some galaxies yeah. that we, we can't observe really, even with our best instruments. Are, are you talking yeah. about that? Well, I, th- I think what I'm saying is there's limits on what we can sense, it, sense. You know, that's how we knew there was dark matter and dark energy. because We knew that it existed because these bodies that are in space weren't moving the way we, we, we expected them to move, you know? And so we knew there had to be matter and space that we, we weren't detecting or sensing that was influencing how matter moves. You know, the, the sheer mass, the sheer uh, of the sun um, is the reason why um, Earth is locked in orbit around the sun, you know? So we know when things have mass, they, they can influence the behavior of other objects in space, things that have, you know, huge you know, tremendous mass like, like, like stars, you know, will, will pull things into their orbit. Um, and yet the movement of these bodies, you know, we noticed wasn't what we would expect it to be. And so we realized there must be all this matter out there um, that, we're, that we're not detecting. And, you know, this could just, really, to me, this could just be limitless. There could just be all kinds of things that we don't know how to detect. Um, and, and this is why classical, you know, classical physics, if you will, probably fails in some in ways because there's just there's there's unknown unknowns out there. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I've thought about that, too. So if dark energy is the is the thing, the unknown of the universe expanding dark matter is that we based on how, like you mentioned, how, the you know, the bodies in the universe behavior, there's this unaccounted for matter. So we call that dark matter um, is I guess I just wonder I'm interested how we would even go about so like there's this this matter that we can't sense with any of our senses right so that's how we're you know everything else we we view through sight or something like that how do we even begin to study something that our senses can't detect you know that's what's kind of interesting to me about the topic is like where do we even even start with this problem you know (laughs) that's where I'm like this is over my head because I don't even know where to get started (laughs) Well, we we have equations to to understand gravitational pull, you know, and, and they're and they're really fundamentally based on um, the mass of the of you know the the, the bodies the, the the two bodies, right? So, like you can imagine, you have two bodies. You have a sun, you know, you have a big star, you have a planet, and 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 for us, you know, we have a great example in the Earth. So we can we can. We can, you know, study the Earth and know that okay, it takes a year to rotate around the Sun, and it flux, you know, that 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 it fluctuates. Um, that year, uh, you know, doesn't fluctuate much, um, and that and and then we can 
we've we've kind of used our understanding of the earth and the sun to to derive relationships around gravitational pull and so um when we've when we've uh you know kind of looked beyond just the earth and the sun we've applied those equations you know those same equations and said okay we, we should be able to predict the movement of you know moons around other planets and, and planets you know um, associated with other stars and 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 even we, sh we should even go even further we should be able to even predict um, how galaxies move right and i think that's where we've really we, we really found that um there must be some other matter out there uh that that's that's changing um uh, how these bodies in space move and and we've been able to estimate you know how much mass you know what is the amount of mass that must be out there that we're not we're not able to sense directly um and, and again it's, it's always an estimate you know we don't know precisely so um, mm -hmm. so it would be possible that we actually dark matter could be that we don't fully understand gravity right because like all right we had newton who kind of described gravity gravity but then einstein elaborated on that and it's like actually gravity is a warping of space-time theoretically mm -hmm. these bodies moving around could be is that right that maybe it could have something to do with gravity that that's, we don't fully I, understand? Yeah, that's I mean that that is a big part of of why we believe you know dark matter and uh, exists. You know, it's it's us trying to to you know fix if you will a, another case <laughs> where <laughs> our description of the universe d d doesn't work, you know, and and for that reason, um, you know, we have to we have to take it with a grain of salt to some extent, you know, because I think at some point we'll discover something uh, that maybe changes how we think of this, how you know, changes our worldview. So you're saying it's a Nobel Prize out there for somebody? It's, there's a Nobel Prize. There's a Nobel Prize out there for someone. Um, it's it's not going to be me that gets it. <laughs> oh, 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 oh Doctor B, on climate. <laughs> well, no, they, no. But, you know, they can, they can, um, if they, if they hear this podcast and they and they they can they can name it after me. They can name this new <laughs> this new energy or matter. The new after matter, after you. <laughs> Brennion matter. Uh, so, oh, so there you it, go. Hey, that sounds so good. That sounds very yeah, scientific. It, it does yeah. sound very scientific. <laughs> uh, so thinking about it, it's kind of like what the, the physicists and, and scientists and astronomers are kind of in layman's terms for folks who are not um, science, you know, super science literate or just kind of. Um, to put it in, in their terms, is you all are playing detective and you're trying to find different clues to piece together the mystery that is the universe. But dark matter and dark energy, is it truly just a, a wave of smart people saying, we don't fucking know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, if, if so many things are that way, you know, um, even, even to me, when you look at the, at the small scale, you know, I mean, what we're talking about in a sense, is a, a large-scale phenomenon, right? You know, it, it, we're talking about things beyond the Earth, at least. So we like to think about, we, we, we can think of them as, as a large-scale phenomenon. But even, even when you think about something um, like an atom, right, where we, where we once, you know, had this very different idea of the behavior of electrons, you know, um, orbiting around, a nucleus than we do now and and when you when we the way we think about electrons orbiting a nucleus now um we realize we just don't really have um a definitive understanding of 
where these electrons are at any given moment. You know, really we can only describe them uh, with probabilities, you know, like we can just say, um, you know, with this much likelihood, electron could be in this location at any given time. And we're not looking at the electrons, right? <laughs> we could just set up experiments that, that where we, we try to um, detect them and, and, and infer that they, where they exist and where they might be. But we're never really, you know, are we really, we're never really looking at each individual electron. So there's so many things happening um, at the small scale and at the large scale that are based on experiments, that are based on concepts, that are based on ideas. And we, and we use these concepts and we use these ideas to serve humanity. Um, and yet I think there's just so much room for um, further discovery and, and, and new revelations. Even, even when you think about something that maybe we say we knew pretty well. And you know, when I was growing up, we, we, we learned like one way of looking at electrons you know, and, and, where, and how they exist around a, nu uh, a nucleus. And now, you know, I think that's evolved um, as folks have embraced uh, quantum physics more. And so I, I, think it, I think this just applies to everything, you know, the human body as well, right? I mean, we just, we just we're always learning new things about the human body. So, um, you know, I, 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 I think of physics as really the core of science. Um, I'm a little bit of a science snob in that sense. You know, I, I, you know, I think that a lot of times, um, you know, I joke with folks that are doctors or biologists you know, that, that biology is, is really, you know, um, you know, kind of the, 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 the ugly stepchild of, of physics, you know, <laughs> and not really, um, is, is, is well-defined and pure as physics, but, but in truth, there's, there's, there's so many things in physics, you know, yet to be discovered, so many unknown unknowns. Well, thinking about kind of, um, you talked about electrons and atoms, and so we can get into the the subatomic um, uh, realm, which I always find is like uh, freaking fascinating because apparently... Um, Slash these confusing. Are, <laughs> and very confusing. No, it's fucking, you know, I don't know what scientists say it is. Like, if you understand uh, quantum mechanics, you don't understand quantum mechanics. Um, but I always find <laughs> it fascinating that atoms are what they say, 99.999% empty space. And that mm -hmm. um, a visual way to thinking out of it is that you know you have the electrons and you have a football stadium. So just say um, I'm in Atlanta, so Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and then the, the 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 nucleus of the atom would be a penny on the 50-yard line, and the electrons mm. would be right outside the stadium, and and the mm. rest of it is just empty. So that that's kind of insane because we're all made up of atoms. So in essence, we're all just empty space. So we're all just airheads. <laughs> when I learned that, it actually made me feel better because I was thinking about the expansion of the universe, you know, and they're like, oh, we're all going to be ripped apart and stuff. And, I, and then that fact was like, oh, well, we're all mostly empty space anyway. So, <laughs> but that's but, but it's something, but like it's nothing. So that's that's yeah, the weir it's it's, weird. It's, it's yeah. kind of you, you feel like you're smoking marijuana when you really think about this <laughs> stuff. So I don't know how like physicists, I don't know why they're like some of these astronomers and, and physicists, physicists are not like up at night worried like. I, w I could technically fall through this bed because it's empty or fall through the earth. I, I don't know if, if you really think about it. Well, maybe yeah, they're mean, just when I, yeah, no, yeah, I just, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, it, I mean, that's what's so, that's what's so interesting to me about, it. I mean, you have to imagine like if, if, if it's mostly empty space, but you know, there's all these electrons, like how fast these electrons um, must be moving, you know? And, and, 
and and just how much uh, how much chance and and go back to the other word magic is involved around um, you know what we think of as an electron cloud um, you know and and so you've got all these atoms together and but the the electrons are moving just so fast that we never even you know could imagine that there's that there's this empty space there because these 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 at these different atoms are just the, the electrons are are, are the clouds are, are, are making sure that uh, we never see that empty space so um, yeah it, it's absolutely fascinating and um, you know just we're just thankful to the scientists that pardon my ignorance pardon my ignorance on this but so I have a hard time understanding so like electrons what like protons have a positive charge and electrons have a negative charge right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what like what the hell does that mean? <laughs> like okay, so what? So like, you, you know, like okay, so like they. I'm I get assuming that. it's like batteries or something. Well, no, no. So like, all right, I get like magnets, you know, repel each other, attract each other. But so like, I get that. But like, is that basically just what it means? Is like when we're studying studying atoms, we see that you know different elements stick together and others don't, and that's what like I don't fully understand. Could you just try and explain? You can. You know, for for the idiots like me, what like positive and negative charge even means like in in that perspective. Right. Well, I you know, I I would say when we think about charge, it, it's it's relative to other things that have charge, right? So we're we're thinking of um, the behavior of electrons with other electrons. You know, so we know that um, you know two different electrons are repelled from each other. Uh-huh. You know, um, in that sense, so it's 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 a little bit of a concept that is is mostly relevant in the context of a discussion with an atom, right? Because we can't do that with humans. We can't just say, you know, Lornet is really really positive person, but Dr. Brandy is super negative. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we could say that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's 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 just not as as pure. Um, a conversation and really right it, it's just it's just kind of nomenclature right why, why couldn't electrons be positive right and and um, protons right so be theoretically like, you could switch mm-hmm. them around right but then what i don't understand is if you can theoretically switch them around then what is antimatter because i learned that you know antimatter is the opposite of the regular matter and it's like well if we're making up the negative and positive charges then antimatter is just reversing the stuff we made up like it's all <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I get I get very confused with stuff like that, trying to like you know picture it. No, I think it I think it could have been framed completely differently. You know, I think you know what we're doing is building on ideas or, and you know uh, uh, different uh, different um, you know really philosophies that early physicists put together, and we're building on those and building on those, and then um, every time you know, we, 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 we bump up against something that doesn't quite fit. Uh, we, we try to come up with a, a new explanation or a new rule. And so we come up with all these different concepts. We've got, you know, um, um, you know, electrons and neutrons and, and protons. Um, and really, it, it's all dependent, you know, on experiments. Um, but we, but we know basically. But when we talk about electric, uh, negative charge and positive charge, we're we're fundamentally talking about, you know, the whole basis is around the behavior we see 
um, between electrons and protons and electrons and each other. And, um, and it, you know, it's, it's a way to explain electromagnetism, um, but there's just so much for us to, to, to unpack. I think, you know, we're always discovering, you know, new, new subatomic particles and um, we come up with rules about how these subatomic particles behave and, um, you know, to me, in some ways, uh, you know, we create stories like about these subatomic particles and how they like to behave um, that we could, that we almost could never prove, right? Um, or would be are very expensive <laughs> and difficult to prove. So I mean, in the end, it's 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 mostly about um, I, I think how how do we use the information? How do we apply the information? Um, and not you know, whether we call something negative or positive in terms of charge. So um, it's sticking in the realm of uh, subatomic particles and, you know, us being made of atoms and, and electrons. Well, I guess atoms and electrons are part one of the same, or uh, well, part of the same thing. So I heard this and, and it kind of blew my mind. And I don't know, I mean, I'm assuming it's true, but um, years ago, uh, watching this documentary about like um, the quantum realm or, you know, quantum mechanics, and technically, um, the world we navigate through, everything we touch, uh, we truly never really touched it because um, the because of the electrons, the natural, electromagnetic, electromagnetic force repels us to like bounce off things versus like phasing mm. through it. But right, if you touch something, right? yeah. But if you touch before. something, it's very different. <laughs> so like you know, if I if I if I you know caress my wife's hair. That's very different from like, you know, me feeling this uh, glass I have, you know, shout out to my, my boo. Uh, but if I'm holding this glass, that's very different. Or if I'm like, you know, swimming in, in the ocean or swimming in a pool, that's, you know, I, I can feel the water technically. Um, or like if I'm petting my dog, it's, it all feels different, like, but we never really feel it. So that's, that doesn't it's make any sense. we're just feeling the charge from, from that. But why does it feel different? That. That's well, yeah, it's, I, it's different. It's different with for water, right? It's a little bit different with water, right? Because um, then, then a then a rigid object, right? Because you know our body can well, absorb you float water. through water, yeah, yeah. Our body can absorb water, you know, and and water um, is is polarized, so you, so it's it's not you know perfectly symmetric, and and that's why you know water. Um, has these unique properties that that make it so important on Earth. But but I I totally get what you're saying. When you have two rigid objects, um, it, it's this it's this you know mind-boggling phenomenon where you know um, you you can't sense it and detect it. But really, um, you know, you could argue that um, yeah yeah yeah. Are you really actually ever ever touching something? Um, and it and it's just the electrons. Uh, the electrons are repelling each other, and um, you know you, you lifted something, so you, you so you, so you, you you're, you're you're having to to hold something up and 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 like have the strength to, to keep it up. Um, but um, if there's you know if there's no exchange of electrons, um, then 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 in a sense you, you know you haven't touched it. But you know I think what we we find quite a bit is that, uh, and this is this is where things like plastic come up come up a lot in my thinking is that actually these objects you're holding there is an exchange happening you know um right like we're like uh uh you know sometimes you know 
there's plastic everywhere, right? Like there's plastic all over the place. So, so we're think, we're, we think we're drinking out of things, for example, like drinking out of a plastic cup and all we, all we got back was water, but um, we're actually in, in, you know, sometimes taking something from that rigid object. So um, there is, there is sometimes that, that's an exchange. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I really appreciate you explaining water to me in a very, uh, a very smart way. <laughs> um, but it's it's still mind boggling because like yeah, um, if you everything you touch, um, especially solid objects or what we assume is are solid but they're not really, um, feel very they all these they have these textures and feelings that are are really different. So that yeah, it, it's it's kind of confusing and mind boggling and mind blowing in, in many ways, and it and also doesn't make I guess logical sense. Um, and maybe that's just because we're limited by our human perspective. Well, you know, it, it's I, I would I would tell you something that really was was really interesting to me. Have you have you seen this this uh, documentary, My Octopus Teacher? No, I've that? heard of it. No, you heard it. You haven't seen it. Well, so what's so fascinating to me about it is, you know, um, these these, you know, when you think about an octopus, and it's and it's fascinating to me because it's. Uh, its evolution is so different, you know, the path is so different um, from, from, um, you know, humans, right, you know, and, and we're so, we're not very closely related to them at all, um, and when you think about an octopus, its limbs, um, you know, are sensing, are doing so much sensing, and from a biological perspective, uh, you could argue the limbs are making decisions, um, away from uh, what we would kind of think of as a brain for for the octopus and and when the octopus moves right it's you know it's its eyes don't have to see the color of the coral reef or a stone its limbs can detect the color and then the octopus can change colors or some, or some of them can change colors right yeah, th- those so might imagine. be the aliens right there. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So it's it's so if I mean if you ever seen the movie Arrival, yeah, yeah. good movie, good movie. You yeah. seen? Yeah, I love that movie, and and some people hate the movie, but I absolutely love that movie. Um, I, I liked it too. I thought it was I liked really it thoughtful. too. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Um, I thought it was so brilliant that for that reason, you know, because when you think about you know an octopus is is really a uh, you know relatively intelligent creature, right? Um, Although we wouldn't necessarily think of, of you know, a mollusk or, or, or you know, similar soft-bodied creatures, um, you know, as being intelligent, right? Because we, we think it all, it's all about having, like, a big brain. Um, but it was so interesting to me that, um, you know, in Arrival and, and, and maybe, in, you know, in another... And I don't want to give the movie away. <laughs> but, but people imagine Spoiler that... Spoiler alert. <laughs> that, that, it's all right. Yeah, ali- yeah, that aliens maybe could be more like um, like a soft-bodied sea creature, right? Than, 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 like, um, than, like, than like a mammal like humans. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think we're how we sense and interact with the environment is, is really complex. And, and I think and only recently have we really understood that, you know, for an octopus doing something like changing color, um, you know, could involve sensing, you know, just from limbs, sensing um, light and energy from limbs um, as opposed to, you know, um, what's more traditional for, we, what would be more expected or, tra- or, or more, you know, um, common um, 
you know, in our thinking, which would be from your eyes. Yeah, I remember watching a documentary about sharks, and I can't even remember what the sense was, but they were basically discovering that these certain type of sharks have like this extra sense that like humans don't have. And it really got me thinking about how, you know, so much of our science and how we perceive the universe is just based off our senses. And but really, you know, we don't we only see a very thin part of the light spectrum, you know, and we only have these senses. So like, you know, there's there's a whole world out there that we can't perceive that, you know, at least we're trying to, but um, who knows how many, you know, extra senses there are to figure out that we, you know, we don't really aren't even thinking about right now. Yeah, because even uh, researching uh, why are insects so attracted to uh, to light in any summer evening, if you're sitting outside and it's dark and you got the porch light on or you got a candle or you got like little light bulbs, you're always going to see moths and other winged insects, um, whether you like them or you're, you're creeped out by them or not, they're always kind of flying to the light. And even the smartest minds have no idea, like, why they're, why they're attracted. Like, why? Like, why do they fly towards the light? So even, even on our own planet like, versus, you know, out the larger universe, there are some sh- simple things that we, we just don't know. Well, I, <laughs> I've thought about that even with, this is funny, but even, like, when I've been at, like, a music festival, you, you know, at night and everyone's, you know, they got glowing hula hoops, everyone has, like, glow sticks on and stuff, and we're all staring at this stage that has these lights flashing in different colors, and I've totally been, like, fucked up and had the thought, like, we're all, like, moths, you know, we're all just, like, ooh, look <laughs> at these pretty lights, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, that, that, that's not just for bugs, you know, mammals do that stuff, too, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah. what I think about. I think absolutely. I mean, I think I think, you know, if you ever see babies and the way um, babies just almost are are toddlers, just almost instinctively will will respond to music. Right. Have you ever noticed that? Mm -hmm. And and it has to be, you know, that we're passing things on in our DNA. You know, Um, it's, it's almost like the babies are dancing when you see babies dance like toddlers dance it's like they're doing a traditional indigenous dance right they're stomping their feet you know it it it, 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 it it's 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 this very <laughs> classic dance <laughs> and it's weird babies all around the world do the same dance right like if if you really pay attention they do the same dance but you know i i think in terms of the senses like you said you know, what I think about a lot is it, it, cha- it changes what we can conceive, like what we can conceptualize, what we sense, right? So if we're not really sensing the full picture, that's gonna change how we conceptualize the world, you know? Um, you know, wh- how, wh- how, what words, what ideas we use um, to describe a star or the earth or our physical phenomenon. It's interesting, too, that you brought up the babies and their reaction to music, because I was actually thinking about that recently with, like, pets that I've had. Like, I've had dogs and stuff, and it was always interesting to me. We think of music as, like, a human thing. Like, we listen to music, but my dogs could definitely tell the difference between music and just other loud noises. You know, if there was just a loud, you know, because I'll blast my music really loud, so it's a really loud noise. But they just, oh, you know, what, you know, like it, it's on, you know, it's of no concern to them. But if it's a loud noise, you know, it'll get their attention. So even though we don't think of them as like having music like humans, they definitely can tell the difference when I play music as compared to just any other loud noise, you know. So it is interesting to kind of think about what we 
you know, what other animals think of music and how we interpret it. And maybe there's something going on because there's some animals, you know, like parrots and stuff that can recognize rhythm and stuff, too. So it's yeah, you know, who knows what's going on there. And I, and I guess I have a question for you guys. I mean, I, I saw a documentary recently about this, but, you know, the question was really why do, why do humans love dogs and why do dogs get along with humans so much? And, you know, there's all this speculation around, um, you know, human, early humans befriending wolves and feeding wolves. They did an experiment, you know, what they alluded, what they described was an experiment where humans, you know, they basically tap sweat from humans. that experience different emotions and essentially um the dog if if you gave if if, if the dog smelled human sweat from humans being happy you know they 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 reacted differently from human sweat of of like a human watching like a scary movie you know Mm -hmm. and so imagine like dogs this would almost suggest dogs can sense our emotions by smelling our sweat in a way that we would typically sense people's emotions by by listening to what we say, or looking at our body language, our facial expression. So this is like a completely different way to take in information, um, and and which is mind-boggling to me. And then and when and you take crazy. it a step further, yeah, you just take it a step further and realize we have no idea how many species of animals there are out there. And there's all these species that underwater or even on land we have not even discovered. So there's all types of of ways of sensing um, the world that um, we have not even discovered that we can't even conceptualize. Yeah, because, yeah. Um, yeah, no, go ahead, Brian. No, no, you're good. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, when it comes to dogs, and then kind of, a, and then I pose another question to you, uh, Dr. Brennan. Um, yeah, they, they see the world, you know, they, they have eyes and stuff like that, and they can see, but they really, you know, perceive the world through smell, uh, where humans, for the most part, um, we have our five senses, but our, our most you know, keen sense is usually our, our sense of eyesight. And what's really interesting is, I guess, modern, modern society has kind of ruined our eyesight. So, you know, I wear contact lenses and glasses, <laughs> but apparently they say, you know, from, you know, educa- education, like being in school and, and kind of like this modern lifestyle has kind of led people to kind of have shitty eyesight um, because they're like trying, becoming nearsighted um, because they're trying to like read words and stuff like that. And that's why, you know, as society grows and we, you know, become quote unquote more advanced, our eyesight gets worse. Because I'm like, prehistoric times, you, you couldn't have bad eyesight because you had to see like your, you know, tribe member or was it a saber tooth tiger? And you, you had to like see it. Right. And if you didn't see it <laughs> and you mistake your, you know, tribe mate for a saber tooth tiger, you were fucking lunch. <laughs> you know, so right. it, it's really interesting. So I, I guess talking about this, the senses and limitations of senses. I mean, is the biggest problem with what we don't know about the universe is that we are, our brains are trying to study the universe, which was, you know, formed in the universe. So it's, is it the way the are we limited by kind of like the brain trying to understand itself in the universe? If that makes any sense. <laughs> people wow, really that's, think that's I smoke. People, people really think <laughs> I probably smoked a, smoked a J before this and I'm not high at all. This, this stuff just makes me feel high. <laughs> Well, you definitely, I mean, we're definitely limited, but what's interesting is we can use information from the humans before us to get a jump start on it. So we're like not starting from ground zero. So I've questioned like, clearly there's a limitation. You know, we are of these human brains. We can only process information so quickly, but we can also build off the knowledge before us. So 
I've often wondered if there's like a limit to human potential. Like, are there some things we'll just never understand because we're not capable or can we always just keep building so we can, you know, because like if any one of us had to figure out how to fly to the moon, it would have never happened. But we can like build with each other. So it's just interesting to think about what the limit to human potential is and if there is one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great question. I, I mean, what I would say, in, too, is when you think about Eastern philosophy, you'll have concepts like two but not two, right? That that will think of something as two distinct uh, entities or two distinct organisms, but they're not two. And, and the humanity, in a way, is like that, right? Like, in a way, we're just yeah one organism you know and and we're 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 interacting with each other and influencing each other and there's this direct connection between us and all our ancestors and and our ancestors thought you know thought to make sure hey i need to pass this information on you know um i need to uh inscribe this in a hieroglyph on stone um because i because i know it took a while uh to, to, to for us to assess this and understand this um, and so I, th- I think even just the way we think of ourselves as completely separate human beings and entities and not interconnected um, is really just a, just probably a limitation in our thinking. And, and, and eventually we'll kind of better understand that, um, you know, we're all really interconnected and influence each other. Um, you know, to, to Lynette's point, I wonder what the eyesight is. It yeah, is it is it because you can survive now with terrible eyesight like me? You know, I, I have contacts, and I have glasses. I had you know Coke bottle glasses, you know, essentially from from ninth grade, and 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 yeah, I can imagine that um, through some kind of natural selection, you know, really terrible eyesight people like me. At least maybe I should I would at least have amazing hearing or something, or be able to run super fast. <laughs> yeah, that's what I. I feel like growing up when I was first learning about evolution, I always thought that, you know, humans had bigger brains, so we're smarter. And that's why we, you know, came to, you know, supposedly dominate the planet in a way. Um, But the more I've kind of learned, like having opposable thumbs and being able to write and use tools kind of contributed to our evolution. Um, You know, being bipedal had had a a lot to do with it. So it's... I don't know. I, I, yeah, at least with like humans, I don't think there's any one thing that you can point to in our evolution to like explain like why we came to, you know, at least from like a resource perspective, dominate the planet. But it's interesting how like kind of a bunch of different things can kind of impact evolution. And that was super interesting what you said about like the dogs with smells and like being able to smell the different kind of sweat. Cause I've even thought about that with my dog. Like, you can never lie to your dog. Like they can just like <laughs> read your emotions, you know, and like no matter how you're feeling, they know how you're feeling, you know, and it's just it was just kind of interesting. And, and that's even kind of true with humans. Like, you know how they say like body language is most of communications like even humans, I think, pick up on things we don't even realize we're picking up on, you know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's 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 everything right with leadership is just, you know, what, what we literally say it broad chested leadership yeah, you know like open, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true i guess it's a little bit of psychology too but yeah well well i i think you know we, we, and, and it was really interesting in humans we like to like we dominate the planet and it's the anthropocene era and stuff like that but and that we have these big brains and that's what made us very successful evolutionary wise um and it's really like what you're saying christian our collectivist that you know collectivism coming together uh, even with all our conflicts throughout you know human existence um to get us to this point 
But there are organisms on this planet that are, you know, just, just as successful, if not more successful. Like, you know, we're in a current pandemic, thanks to a virus <laughs> um, and, and bacteria that makes up, you know, viruses and bacteria make up, you know, most of, you know, who each human, each living organism has some type of bacteria on it or inside of it and all that stuff. And, you know, one little single bacteria or virus, it, you know, you look at it in a microscope. It's not it doesn't have like a brain. It's not like oh, I'm going to the office today and <laughs> I'm going to talk about, you know, <laughs> I'm going to talk about, you know, the, the, the we're going to talk about um, friction and uh, we're going to talk about, you know, economies. <laughs> it, but they're very successful. They've been here. They will be here long after humans are gone, probably. And if, if you know, if you believe in the theory of panspermia, you know, it, it could be that these these viruses and bacteria, which is our ancestors might have came from mars or some other planet and maybe you know it's some bacteria from earth that's floating on a space rock somewhere that landed on some other planet and is evolving some weird way um we don't know obviously which is the theme of this podcast yeah i mean i mean that's 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 like another fascinating question like one one what is life you know what constitutes life you know we try to we 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 think of ourselves as very different than a virus and bacteria um you know we think of ourselves as very different than an amoeba and yet, you know, maybe that, that's where we started from, something that simple, something that, um, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe even a one-celled organism. Um, you know, a lot of questions, a, a common question for folks, you know, climate scientists and astrophysicists and stuff is like, you know, are there aliens? And, and you know, it's just, it's just impossible to, to really know definitively. And yet, um, uh, you know, a lot of, I think, I think at this point, a lot of folks realize like, there's no reason really to think that there could not be life, you know, uh, on another planet than Earth. Recognizing how huge um, the universe is, uh, the only except for ego, right? Like, like they're like, why would we think that uh, we're we're unique? Um, even, even if there weren't humans per se, or, or, or something like humans, um, you would think there would be something um, like uh, uh, like life, <laughs> another place, but. It, it's tough to say definitively, obviously, because we haven't been in these places. And then, and then we don't really even have that concrete definition of what's life. Is, is a virus alive? You know, I mean, we probably would say a virus is not alive. And yet, um, you know, we can be tormented by a virus, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. No, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we don't have a, a true definition of life. Um, it's just kind of like consciousness. And then also think about aliens, which is our, our first science edition. We talked about it. And I, I think about the fact is like there might be if we're, you know, on Earth, you know, we are, you know, us on this call. We're, we're very different from um, the corona, a coronavirus. Like, you know, if you looked at it under the microscope, we're, but technically it's alive. But, you know, it could be life forms out there that, you know, exist <laughs> that are very different from, you know, the bacteria or anything that we see on Earth, but technically it's alive. But, you know, it's so different from us. We wouldn't know it was alive or not. I don't it just It's very fascinating to think about because it's so many infinite possibilities. Obviously, as long as they fall under the laws of physics, but we talked about the laws. We've been talking about the laws of physics. And, and many times, even to um, folks with your background, Christian, uh, the, the laws of physics don't make any sense. So... <laughs> So, so we, we don't have, well, we, we know what we don't know, I guess. Yeah. And I, th I, I don't know why, but I feel like this topic kind kind of relates to something else I wanted to talk to you guys about was, you know, speaking of what kind of we, 
I don't know what we see happening, but we don't understand. And that's, I, I think a good example of that is that double slit experiment. Um, and either of you can stop me if I am explaining this wrong. But from what I understand is they were shooting the, the well, actually, maybe <laughs> you got maybe you guys should explain it. But basically, it seems like we were shooting light photons through slits. And if it I don't know how to describe it. So like the 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 light wave can be it can be either a wave or like a particle. And depending on if you if you don't look at it, it's a wave. But if you turn and look at it, it turns into a particle. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, basically, once you once you um, uh, detect detect the light, it will it will um, collapse. You know, essentially, um, it collapses as a part of. You know, you you could say that it it it's it, you you would detect it as a as a photon, right? As a, as a particle, and yet um, until you um, until you try to detect it. Um, you could you could describe that light um, as a wave, and so this kind of this this dual dualistic nature of light is is a little bit mind boggling, right? Like it's it it kind of points to the fact that when we interact with phenomenon, um, it changes. You know that that just us just us measuring the light, if you will, or trying to de detect um, a photon or detect. Uh, a particle, you know, influences the behavior um, of the light, and 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 that's that to me is just extremely fascinating because you can just apply that to to, to all right? of our human interactions, right? Right, <laughs> yeah. and like, what does that say about like consciousness and consciousness's kind of relation to the universe? You know, because we have like the the consciousness, like the observer, and then we have the what we consider like an inanimate universe. It's just interesting to me. Like, have there been studies done? Like, I'm so interested, just like, all right, at any point, so like at any point in the experiment, if you look at it, it collapses from a wave and turns into a particle. So if you don't look at it at all, the results look like a wave. But if you look at it at any point, it turns into a particle. I don't know. It's just like interesting to think about the tight, you know, that makes me question like the, you know, we were talking about senses earlier. So you know, by the observer looking at it, like a, looking at it with like with what sense, you know, like we're talking about sight, I assume, right? Like we see it turning into a particle because we're looking at it. So that's a sight. Does the other do the other senses, you know, affect it differently? Like could a dog, you know, smell the difference, you know, once they look at it? Like it's it's crazy to think about the implement implications that would have for like every field in science. Right. I mean, I mean, the, the detection is 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 not with our naked eye per se, but I but I, I think that the implication is is real. You know, if 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 just us interacting with something um, can cause it uh, its form to shape and its represent, representation to shape, um, you know, you, you start to say, what is the influence of our interaction? Um, what's the influence of our thoughts? You know, and are our are our thoughts themselves? Um, you know, uh, is consciousness consciousness itself um, a form of energy or matter? You know, so it's it's it has so many implications for um, society and and um, and it, and it makes and it and it it it's really 
mind-boggling. It's something I hope we're able to unpack more because um, I think it, I think that is this could be really something that. Um, well, thinking about you know, well, think about that. Things. Yeah, well, 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 well um, I don't mean to cut you off, but think about that kind of what you just said about like consciousness and how that shapes our possible reality. Uh, one thing I kind of find a little bit problematic is that you know it's kind of flows into the kind of this pseudoscientific idea of like you know our thoughts can change our reality and you know all we have to do is kind of like imagine it and I, i'm talking about a documentary called what the bleat do we know which really is like a, a guilty of that and and they you know have some doctors and um, a, a couple of scientists who i guess would be you know so-called on the fringe but i guess at one point all science science was fringe but you know we are our thoughts you know per se shape reality but that's not true because you know you have someone who might be you know starving or homeless and they can sit there and imagine and, and ponder about food or a house or a roof to sleep under and that's not going to like manifest out of not in nowhere so <laughs> it's limitations to that you know observation or of our consciousness of affecting our reality correct uh, versus this whole like magical thinking um, where it's like oh if i just think it it will be you know it's there uh, well I've had that thought, too, because that is, like, a huge push that I don't really, like, agree. Not that I don't fully... I do believe you can, like, manifest your reality. You know, if you work hard at something and practice, you will get better at it. So I, like, get that. But, yeah, if you're sitting on the train tracks where a train's coming and you imagine you're in Hawaii, you can imagine <laughs> all you want, but the train's going to hit you <laughs> regardless yeah, exactly. of where you, what you're trying to manifest, you know? But right. yeah, that is a good question, though. Yeah, Lornette, like... Because... The slit experiment does, I don't know, I wonder, like, maybe does, maybe is, you know, how, like, matter warps space-time, does consciousness warp space-time, too, in just, like, a certain way, you know? That, I mean, that's, that's what's interesting to me, that last question, you know, and, and when I, I mean, when I often talk to folks working on um, a, their PhDs, you know, on a, on a doctoral degree, you know, it's, they'll the, every single one of them you know will have just mental struggles <laughs> just be agonizing over this <laughs> over this process right of writing this book of, of discovering a contribution to the field and, and i'll say to them you know the turning point for me was when i listened to some advice i got which was to look at my research every day for at least an hour and 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 when I first got that advice, I was like, no, I'm not going to look at my research, you know, on the weekend. I'm not going to look at my research, you know, on uh, Christmas Day or New Year, you know, a day where there's a holiday. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, relax. And when I got near the end and I'm like, oh, I got to hurry up and finish. I started actually doing that. And I, I, I was literally, you know, would, would, would after, you know, uh, as time progressed of me consistently doing that, I would just wake up with all these epiphanies. I would wake up and there'd be three pages of 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 text for my dissertation just in my mind. You know, as as soon as I wake up, I would remember, um, you know, uh, uh, things that I had read uh, a while back and the context around them, and 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 my brain was just thinking differently after after um, you know being consistent around this task of. Of, of, of doing this research for a series of days. And, and so I think there's, there's, just, there's just things about the mind and think of things about space and time that we don't quite understand. And the effect of doing something daily 
um, but to me, it seems to be one of those things, you know, like, like this practice of doing something daily seems to have these unique effects. Well, I wanted to ask you, too, because there was you mentioned, you know, when we started the episode that you were kind of interested in the magic of how things worked. And that's what got you into science. But Lornette just brought up an example where people can kind of get lost in magical thinking where they can right. think, you know, they think like. I don't. I don't know how to describe. It. Like, oh, if I just you know wish it hard enough, I'll c- I can turn this into gold. And it's well, like, it's oh, like no, the it's like the it. secret. Like you know, you want to be right. a billionaire. Like put you know a Bill Gates like you know photo on your refrigerator and look at it every morning <laughs> and imagine. Or like when I was a single man, I could sit there and like have a look at a picture of Rihanna <laughs> on my computer and be like, you know, I, I'm gonna be with Rihanna one day. But that that's never gonna manifest. So it's 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 kind of I guess. Folks have taken these ideas and, and, and hard science or physics and kind of ran away with them into this you know new age thinking. And that's not to denigrate new age thinking and, and, and non-Western thinking, because I think um, every aspect of humanity adds to, you know, our experience and, and, and we can grow. But it, when does it when is it a cutoff point of like, you know, yes, this is this is what we reserve. We don't know about it, but this doesn't mean that you can be like. Yes, I can just, you know, manifest like, you know, good things, even though everything is horrible in my life right now. Um, or, you know, I can just manifest like an, an apple or a burger if I'm, you know, starving or like, you know, some food. If I'm like, you know, <laughs> starving of hunger or I'm on the streets and it's like, I just need to manifest uh, a, a warm place to sleep. And, you know, the most likely, in, at least in this country, and this is getting political, the only warm space place you might sleep is a, is a jail cell for like, violating vagrancy laws in our many cities and towns so yeah no, I, don't no, think I, that, I, think, I don't think that's a place people are imagining jail like <laughs> i doubt it no it, it's it's fallacious thinking i mean to 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 you know uh it's a type our magical thing is a type of fallacious thinking you know i mean i i guess what what is interesting to me is just um you know how powerful the human mind is you know and, and and what people are capable of of doing with their minds, you know, there's, there's certainly all kinds of limitations, um, and yet I would say just in that final process, you know, I, I I realized things and came up with things that I did not think I was I was capable of, you know, honestly, or at least I could not have imagined. So I, um, so I think that will be you know another important frontier in physics, just to better understand um, the human brain um, and and how we. We, we grow and, and, and learn and, and come up with new ideas the way we do, you know, and, and something that's always been interesting to me is, is when we look back historically, how people come up with the, seem to come up at least with the same discoveries in different parts of the world. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because I feel like the way it was taught to us in school was this person discovered this on this date and then you move on. But yeah, the more you dig into history, you realize that the ideas were kind of being discovered by different patches. And that kind of points to some kind of one consciousness, you know, where through the sharing of ideas, you know, be how they may, that that similar ideas get floated around between different groups of people, at, you know, roughly the same time. So, yeah, I, I agree. That's that's super interesting. Right. I, and and, and I, it may not be and it may not be magical. Right. It, not, it may not be like this you know this idea is floating from you know uh west africa to to central europe however it it could be that um these experiences that humans had you know um 
you know, long time before and, and, and kind of the, the, the human, the experience of civilization and human development, you know, creates um, a sequence of thoughts and ideas and, 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 then, and then they manifest, right, in different places um, in, 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 in similar ways. So um, in that sense, we could still be really, really well connected because we all have these, these common ancestors, right, that, that have, have started this, this sequence of, of events um, in different places. And I hope that, you know, it, it's cool to see, at least, you know, it seems like, seems to me that, you know, through science, you've kind of seen the, how, you know, that's one way that you've seen how we're all connected. And I really, <laughs> my, my hope for humanity is that we start waking up to how connected we are, because, you know, we're really connected to each other in our environment, whether we like it or not. And we can ignore that and keep our, you know, head in the sand and not change, or we can recognize that and, I'm just struggling with, I mean, you're an educator, so I mean, you know, hats off to all the educators out there trying to help people understand the world better. But I really hope we, <laughs> humanity figures out a, a way to ramp up. Because I think it's very easy, you know, evolutionarily, you think like, I'm this one person and I need to fight for myself to survive, but to completely neglect um, how connected we all are and our ideas are and stuff will end up being pretty de detrimental to ourselves and, you know, to the species as a whole. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're, we're really fundamentally the same, you know, and, and the quicker we realize that, the quicker we can work together to, to stop uh, catastrophic climate change and, and, and create peace and, and, live in, and live in more harmony. Well, I'm all, I'm all for those things. And, and I would be remiss to not have you on and, and ask about this one, one final thing uh, that's, that's very, very, uh, yeah, we got to talk about it. We got to talk about, you know, black holes. We, 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 we can't, we, we, I'll be remiss if I, if I don't. First off, my, my biggest question is, and I, and I already asked the physicist this one time, but how the hell do we know that there are black holes out there uh, through our indirect observations? <laughs> and what the hell is a black hole and why are they so important? <laughs> I guess those are the three different well, questions. Right. Well, that, well I, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Like, are they important? I mean, I, you know, I don't know if um, they're so important, but I think that they fascinate us, um, you know, because what we what we realize is that, you know, we, we can't we're not we're not seeing light escape from them. You know, and that's what's um, so mind boggling about a black hole is that, um, you know, so much. Of, of what we do around astronomy and when we think about space is, is observing light as we talked about a little bit earlier like we're, we're seeing how light hits our sensors and and that gives us a sense for how far away something is and what, what it's made out of and here you have these regions in space um, that have you know so much matter or at least you know we speculate at least so much matter uh, in, 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 in this one central location that the gravitational field is so intense that light can't even escape, that light is actually even pulled in and sucked in, right? And when we think about gravity, we really don't necessarily think about light, at least. You know, I don't, I don't think the average person is thinking, right? Like, we think like, oh, I, you know, when I jump, I fall back towards the earth, but we're not thinking yeah. like, oh, this, this light that I turn on <laughs> can't even move because the gravitational pull is so strong. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, that's why I think it's, it's so fascinating and interesting. And, and um, 
you know, what happens when you're in a black hole then if, if you can actually pull light different directions because of a, of a gravitational force so strong, you know, um, what, what is happening in that black hole is what, what's fascinating to me. It's like maybe there's forces we can't even conceptualize or maybe things happen in terms of gravity that we can't even conceptualize because we've never even we've never got anywhere close uh, to a gravitational field that strong. So, you know, I, there's a movie, um, I, think it, I think it's Interstellar, right? Like, I don't know if you guys have seen that. Yeah. Where they seem to speculate about this, right? Like, what, like, what is actually happening um, when, you, when you get around some phenomenon like that? And, and um, when you start thinking about things like space and time, since so much of our thinking around um, um, quantum mechanics and physics is around the speed of light, well, if, if now I can pull and shift light, right? Um, and I can change how light moves, now maybe all types of new things happen um, in terms of time, right? And, and maybe time is no longer linear in the way we think it's linear and progresses, you know, um, in this one direction, the way it progresses. So that's why uh, that comes back to kind of the beginning of our conversation. I think black holes are, are you know, are important to me and important because may, they could reveal things about the space-time continuum that, um, that, that would be hard for us to conceptualize. Well, when I, when, I, when I think of black holes and I think about their formation or kind of what our, our theories say, they, how they're formed, and it's like, you know, these massive stars collapsing, but there's like different types of black, star, black holes, and then you have the super, super massive black holes, and then you have like the, the smaller black holes, and then you know, ob- observationally, they've observed that they're at the center of every galaxy, and then you have the black holes merging. Um, but the fact that they are created from collapsing stars, so it's of a certain size so you know you have some that collapse into a neutron star um and then you have um some like our sun which won't turn into a black hole or a neutron star it'll just you know expand to a red giant and become a a white dwarf um but then you have like the ones the mass supermassive uh, hypernovas which create these supermassive black holes which are you know some of the largest known objects in the observable universe and it's insane that like you know that they come from stars. And what's even crazier is that, you know, the, the element that fuses, you know, to get to the point of supernova is when they start fusing, you know, iron, <laughs> which is like, we look at iron and it's so basic. Like we, you know, we fry eggs in an iron pan and we make fences out of it. So it's like, Oh, it's just this basic element. Like we don't, you know, the bronze, the iron age is like, Oh, the caveman tools. But these, you know, these element is like a star killer and it leads to like, the creation of this weird, weird, you know, phenomenon, black holes. And also iron is kind of black. So that's interesting too. So I, I don't know. It's, it's fun to think about too, yeah. is can it get to a point where a black hole would explode and make a new universe? Cause like, if we think about like only huge stars will collapse and make black holes and it's like, well, who knows? You What's know, on the other side of it? Yeah, like, like a, are, are you talking about like a specul- white hole? Like, you know, what's well, coming out? <laughs> well, I was thinking more about like people have made speculations about like, is there some kind of singularity going on at the center of a black hole? And, you know, if you think about like supermassive black holes and, you know, who knows over time what will happen to them? I mean, I guess with the, you know, thinking about the universe expanding, I guess they would what dissolve eventually rather than like explode but i don't know it's just fun to think about like what's going on in the center of them well i found out today the speculation by the science and 
scientific community, and you can tell me if I, I you know, correct me on this, Christian, is that, you know, the, the deep time, like the, the end of the universe or what we think of the end of the universe, it might not be the end. It might just be the end before the beginning. Is that white hole, meaning black holes would take um, 10 to the 92nd power of time to like disappear. So it's, it's like, it's like a one with 92 zeros behind it. So a, a massive amount, a massive number. Uh, so that's how long it will take for ha black holes to evaporate um, into nothingness. But then they, they really evaporate to nothing because all this energy and matter falls into black holes and like, you know, um, it eats stars and all these things. Um, so like, where is, where is that going? What, what, what the, f we don't know. We don't even know. <laughs> we don't know where it's going to go. We have this idea that they might fade it over time. So, and then what you're talking about earlier, like this physics inside of a black hole, which we haven't sent the probe there. And even if we did, would that probe even survive? It would be destroyed, like, right? <laughs> How would you even send a probe? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I, I, we, I, mean I, I hope we come up with some new experiments, you know, right? To kind of better understand, um, you know, black holes and, and some of these other phenomenon. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's, um, it, 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 it absolutely could reveal things about, you know, the beginning, um, the so-called beginning of the universe. Um, uh, you know, it could reveal new concepts, right? Like we're kind of locked into certain ideas um, about mass and energy that, that, that maybe, um, you know, are just based on our limited information. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that, that we figure um, something new out and uh, particularly, um, you know, when I think about black holes, uh, it just, it just, you know, I also think about um, dimensionality, you know, and, and, the, and the idea of, of, of um, wormholes, right, that, yeah. that allow, um, you know, unique um, unique events to happen in terms of space and time, right? Space time. Yeah. And so, so you know, I I suspect will you know uh, folks will ne will not lose interest in, in black holes and 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 new idea new new theories will come about wormholes and um, I'm just hopeful one day we can we can create a, a useful experiment to to reveal something new about the space time continuum. Yeah, I really hope, I don't know, as, as speaking like from a historical perspective, as empires collapse, people kind of lose interest in these, you know, that that's often when societies are collapsing, that's when the libraries are burned and people lose interest in kind of this expanding knowledge. And so it kind of scares me thinking, you know, humanity has kind of always been at war with itself but now you have this climate change aspect that adds a whole new dimension to it and it just scares me to think about that you know if we go down this road we might lose you know all the all the work that we've been working on because everything in science is kind of you know building on the shoulders of giants so it's adding so yeah i just hope that humanity can can keep learning and and, and evolving because you know i really think we have the potential to travel to stars and kind of learn things that that no other species on earth has so i just hope hope we don't we don't waste our gifts you know um but i think we covered all the topics or not was there anything else you wanted to go over no nah, i think um i think we uh we we 
we got pretty deep, so I, I, I'm happy. Yeah. Uh, is it Christian? Is it anything like you want to ask? Pose to us. I mean, we're not. We're not. We don't. Yeah. Anything you want to ask? Any topic or anything? Anything you want to just put out there? Any kind of social media or anything? You or want projects that you're working on? Like yeah. That? Yeah. Anything like that? You know, I I don't. I um I just really enjoy having this conversation. I think I learned a lot. Learned a lot from you guys as well. You know, sometimes you you read stuff or come across stuff and then it doesn't come up again for a while. So, you know, I, I'm just thankful to have this conversation. I haven't, I haven't talked about, you know, black holes probably in at least, you know, a year. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, really conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and then it makes me, you know, say, oh, okay, let me, let me go. Um, let me, let me go read, um, you know, more about, um, black holes you know i'm really interested in in quantum quantum uh data science now or quantum computing i should say right now so um so i'm, I'm really um fascinated by the idea that there could be uh that, that you know that they could there could eventually be these computers that can you know do things um so much faster than in the way we th- do things now that it's, it's hard for us to even fathom um, is it and, scary and it to you at me. all? It's it's a little scary to me to think about what, you know, once we get computers that can calculate faster than, you know, anything we think possible. And then how, I, I guess it shouldn't scare me by just speaking from like a historical perspective. You know, technology is just a tool so you can use it for the good of humanity or to our detriment. And historically speaking, a lot, a lot of these technologies have been used to our detriment. So I've kind of wondered about that too, like the new age of AI and quant, you know, quantum mechanics and stuff, and what that's going to mean for humanity. You know. Yeah, you know, I I think it'll it'll take so much time that, you know, we need to be just much more worried about climate change. You know. <laughs> right. Okay. Good, <laughs> you know, point. I, Good point. <laughs> I, you know, I think I think it'll it's going to take a long time, and you know, just like, uh, you know you know, maybe we've started doing some cloning and creating tissues, but it, it's going to be, it's going to be baby steps where we, you know, produce some AI that's, you know, something like an amoeba, you know, um, or, or, or something, you know, like a small, like a small bug. So, you, it, so it you're really telling us that, that we're a, a ways away from the matrix happening. What ways? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it's so far away that, um, uh, we, I'm the, more, our I'm more generation interested. should worry about climate change <laughs> we should worry about how we can apply quantum computing to solve climate change problems and energy problems yeah that's that's what well, that's hey, what i'm hoping we can do learning that that is what you're interested in what you've been working on and might you know get awards in um we did one episode about climate change but hey if you're free sometime within the next year we would love to have you back on and cut, talk about part two of that and like what we can do and stuff because you know, I agree that that is, you know, probably the biggest question, you know, of our time. Because, like, yeah, <laughs> that's really just, you know, we all have our differences, but we can all agree that we probably want to survive <laughs> and want yeah. our kids to survive. And our grandkids. So right. So it's a pretty universal thing to want, you know. Yeah. And and I got one last question for you, Dr. Brini. And, and, uh, and this goes to the climate change question and all that. Um, so with science, a lot of people are intimidated by it or they feel small by it. Or they just kind of reject it because I even um, posted something on my LinkedIn about, you know, climate change. It was about the um, the report that came out from the United Nations. 
and it was, you know, this random guy that, you know, popped up in my feed. It was like, oh, it's, you know, it's natural fluctuations. And, you know, it's there's a few brave scientists out there that say there's nothing wrong and everything's fine. And, like, you you look at the wildfires, you got the, the West Coast on fire, you got um, the, the the Siberia. The, usually we think of Siberia as the coldest place on Earth or one of the coldest places on Earth. And yet they're having wildfires. And all this, all the data shows that, like, you know, humans are impacting climate change. And understanding the science is needed for us to like do something. Um, and, and if the politicians and elected officials and, and leaders and companies aren't going to do something, it'll take regular everyday people. But the problem is a lot of everyday regular people are not even interested in science. So what 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 is your how would you say how can we get and even the people who might listen to this podcast, regular everyday folks interested in science, just basic science, let alone like combating climate change? and having an understanding of it without thinking it's this well, you know, nerdy I, thing or like over above their head <laughs> or make them feel small. Well, I, you know, I think the onus is on scientists. You know, we have to really do a better job communicating about science and, and making it real to, to people in terms of their everyday lives. You know, Einstein has this quote um, and, and I, I'll paraphrase around um, essentially saying that um, if you really understand something, you explain it to your grandmother, right? Like, and, and I think that's, that's where we have to get, where we let people realize that everyone can be a scientist. You know, there's this concept of citizen science where everyone can go out and, and contribute to science by, by making observations in their environment. Um, the notion that what's happening now is, is just natural fluctuations, um, scares me that 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 notion still floats (laughs) around i think think we can i think we can look at all the bodies of ice that are melting and 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 know that those bodies those ice that ice is not coming back right those glaciers are not coming back so i think if if you needed to look no further um there's this those ice isn't coming back and and um you can look at coral reefs uh you can look at sea level rise um, there's so many examples now, um, we're past triangulation, like we can, there's, there's so many ways, uh, we have now to understand global warming and, and the impacts, um, of climate change. So, um, I, I'm glad the conversation generally in my lifetime has shifted from, uh, is this mostly human caused or is this just natural fluctuations? I think, I think the, the, the overwhelming majority, you know, um, of scientists, greater than 97 you know perhaps 99 percent <laughs> will say humans are are, are primarily contributing to climate change um but also i do you mean think... the scientists not paid by exxon mobile and bp <laughs> <laughs> but I, I i do think you know we we have to we scientists have to do a better job and 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 so um, i'm working every day to be a better communicator and I hope that, you know, other scientists, you know, really take their job seriously and are doing the same thing. That's what I've been trying to do is because a lot of the pushback that I've gotten or I think is put out there in the media is that, oh, well, the climate's always changing. So this is just another change. And so I'm kind of trying to press on the idea like, no, the rate of change is the problem. Things are changing so Mm. fast that species don't have the chance to evolve to meet the change so they just die instead you know so that's kind of 
what the problem is with climate change is that it's the rate of change that's so alarming and co- you know going to cause and like Larnette said earlier with George, the George Carlin quote like the planet will be fine like earth doesn't care if it's a barren rock but we're humans <laughs> we care that you know that we need things to eat and things like that so it's our problem you know so yeah I, I well, agree I, with you no go ahead oh no I was just gonna say what scares me is is that instead of us often thinking about fundamentally changing our systems to be greener and have uh, less impact on the environment, you know, we've almost doubled down. You know, you hear people mm-hmm. trying to come up with these technical solutions to climate change that don't you involve start fracking to get to the oil, <laughs> yeah. or like shooting yeah, up mean, like um, uh, certain aerosols to like reflect sunlight back. Right, <laughs> and then we, we start the fucking it, you know main theme of that one movie uh snowpiercer <laughs> yeah and, and it's like no 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 like we don't perfectly understand aerosols there's a lot of things we don't understand about aerosols you know um but we we do understand the greenhouse effect we do understand that without the greenhouse effect we could not even live on earth it would be too it would be much too cold for us to live on earth so let's not try to to do some crazy science sci-fi experiments with um, we're blocking the sun. <laughs> let's <laughs> right. let's just change how we live, you know, and live in better harmony. Yeah, that's that's what I think is funny too. People are like, oh, we're gonna gonna go to Mars and terraform Mars, and it's like Mars is way more hostile to life than the Earth. Whatever you could terraform on Mars, you might as well just do on Earth while we're here, you know. So like. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I think Jeff Bezos was talking about that too. Like, we need to put all the pollution up in space. And it's like, why don't we just change our behavior to live more, you know, symbiotically with our environment? It's, it's funny. It, it would be funny if it wasn't, didn't have such like dire consequences. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, well, Dr. Uh, we, we probably already took, Dr. B, we probably already took up more of your time than we promised, but I really, really appreciate you. Uh, coming on the podca- podcast and lending your expertise um Thank you it was super that. awesome i already i'm racking my brain thinking of things i'm looking at in a new way so we really appreciate you, you coming on um if you have some free time then next year we definitely love to talk to you again about some of the climate change stuff um so awesome thank you very much yeah um, thanks for being our uh, very first uh, official guest so um um, kudos, uh, thanks for um, braving and coming on and, and talking to us knuckleheads <laughs> about some stuff <laughs> that we're not qualified to talk about <laughs> uh, I had a blast thank you guys All right, uh, thanks everyone for listening if you're interested in learning more about the topic follow us on Facebook at Q Culture and Twitter or Facebook at Q Culture 1 and Twitter at Q Culture that's Q-U-E Culture there we share the links to the documentaries books and articles we mention on each episode also, don't forget to check out Lornette's blog, The Evolving Man Project, his new book, Even the Faders. And if you're in the mood for some U.S. history, check out our monthly history episodes with the, um, Lornette, myself, and my brother, Steve. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And remember to question everything. views or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian and Lornette or their guests and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian and Lornette or their guests may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.